0: And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved.
1: Our text this evening presents us with a serious question. That is, Are we in danger of being overconfident as Christians? Do we think we've attained everything in Jesus and can comfortably relax and saunter off into the sunset of life until we die or Jesus returns? Perhaps we know that simply relying on a sinner's prayer we prayed a decade ago isn't enough. Or we know the popular conception of Pascal's wager is sub-Christian. Or we're aware that the apparent deathbed conversion of Lord Marchmain is not what we're aiming for. But for some of us, perhaps we look back at and pounding staircases, delivering toasties and telling people about Jesus at university. Or we think of our year or two or three or more in RML. We think of the considerable personal cost it takes to invite friends to guest events here. Or we think of sacrifices we make to pay the extraordinary rent it is to live near church and all the decisions we make so we can plan out a financially partner in the gospel here. And we think, that's got to be enough, hasn't it? I'm safe. I'll make it to the end. After all, I've heard of the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And Paul said in chapter 1, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So I can relax, can't I? It doesn't matter if I take my foot off the accelerator spiritually a little bit. I'm safe. I'm definitely in. Well, that's not what Paul thinks about himself, um, let alone us. In chapter 3, verses 8 to 11, Paul explains that he has thrown off everything that gave him cause to stand on his own two feet before God, so that he might know the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, to be conformed to the pattern of his suffering and death, and to make it to the great day of the resurrection of the dead. But obviously, in the case of the resurrection, and also in the fullness of all those things, He doesn't think he's attained them yet. He doesn't think he knows Jesus perfectly or exhausted the power of his resurrection to endure suffering or has been conformed to the likeness of his death enough yet. Did you notice that in our reading? Verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. Or verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Now we might think of all people, and Paul could sit back, and relax. And since his conversion, he's poured out himself in costly service of preaching the gospel around the known world. He's faced persecutions and beatings and shipwrecks and stoning for his troubles. And now he's stuck in prison, not knowing for sure if he'll ever be released. Surely Paul is confident he'll be found in Jesus, that he knows Jesus well enough, that he's shared in his sufferings enough. Surely he has, his, he has his ticket to the resurrection day marks. He can just coast on from here. Well, no. And what does he do, verse 12? I press on to make it my own. Verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. There's absolutely no complacency in Paul, no overconfidence in his spiritual state, no shrinking back from following the pattern of the Lord Jesus, no resting what he's already done for Jesus. Rather, he presses on with his eyes on the prize. And the question for us, and the question for me, do we have this mindset? Does our plan for the rest of our life reflect Paul's example? And if not, and Paul is worried for us if we will make it, if we are safe. And these verses, they're written to protect us, so we aren't complacent, we aren't overconfident in ourselves, but show us and how we should run in order that we do make it. As we enter the Christian life, as we follow Jesus, we don't immediately arrive at the destination. In Paul's imagery here, we enter a race, and Paul wants us to run it to the end. And in these verses, Paul spells out the race mindset we need, and he restates the model race technique and needed to reach the finish line. And the first thing we see is the mature mindset and pressing on to the goal. That is what Paul wants for us. Did you see that in verse 15? And let those of us who are mature think this way. Uh, And this way is spelt out in verses 12 to 14. Let's look at that mindset again, verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul doesn't think he's made it yet. No, he focuses on the finish line to come, on the prize, straining everything he has until the end. I don't know if you saw any of the headlines or the interviews after Man City won the treble uh, recently. Um, One was of draft a photo of Jack Grealish holding the trophy uh, with the headline quote, This is why I came to this club. Now, Jack Grealish has played most of his career until uh, so far for Aston Villa, and he gained himself a reputation as one of the best players in the Premier League. But on the 5th of August 2021, it was announced that he was going to join Man City. And on joining Man City, uh, Grealish didn't just sit back and and think he'd made it. Um, He had one thing on his mind, which was winning trophies and I assume, uh, in particular, um, the Champions League. And During his time at Man City, he couldn't just get complacent or fall back on the good times he had at Aston Villa. Um, he was there to win trophies. So that is what he gave himself to pressing on to do. This is the mature race mindset, the mindset that will help us make it. One thing I do, Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now there's obviously a different dynamic uh, and confidence we can have as followers of Jesus than as players for Man City. And Paul can press on verse 12 because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And verse 14, the prize is one of the upward call of God in Christ. Just like earlier in the letter, Paul said, Work out your salvation with fear, and trem- with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. While well, here we're to press on to the finish line as Jesus has taken hold of us and is calling us home. As we run with our eyes fixed on him, it's like he's pulling us in, as it were. But there's no safety in complacency for Paul here. There's no presumption he will make it, and without pressing on, And he doesn't want us to think and there's a time to naively relax on our commitment if we're going to make it in the Christian life. The mature mindset is pressing on. Now, you may find this um, very hard to believe, um, but uh, William, our senior pastor, is over 60 years old. Um, It's hard to believe, I know. Uh, He actually revealed in a staff meeting the other day that the key thing is never to wear sun cream. So take take that as you will, take that as you will. Um, But for his 60th birthday, um, someone prepared a video uh, with a number of William's friends and gospel partners uh, in the gospel over the years, wishing him a happy birthday and thanking him for his gospel service and things like that. Now, unfortunately, I wasn't able to access the video this week to share it with us uh, tonight. But I do remember the end of it quite well. And the last message was from Dick Lucas and the previous senior, senior pastor at St. Helens. And on the surface, he said all the right things. He said, happy birthday, William, well done, blah, blah, blah. Um, But he didn't quite get the memo for the video, I think. Um, As it appeared, the thing he really wanted to say to William, and what he added at the end was this, um, there's still work to be done. There's still work to be done. His birthday message to William uh, was really a call to press on to the end in gospel service. And that might not uh, not quite have been the vibe of the rest of the video. Um, But I wonder if the Apostle Paul would have made a similar point to William, and I wonder if he'd say the same thing to us. Um, If we're 16 in our first year of following Jesus, or if we're 60 in our 40th year of following him, the mature mindset is pressing on towards the goal. We've not yet attained knowing Jesus perfectly, being perfectly conformed to his death, or being found in him on the day of his resurrection, and we must press on to the goal. But as we do that, and um, Paul then says, verse 16, only let us hold fast. I'll say that again, verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. We need to press on in line with what we've attained so far in Jesus. And um, what does that look like? Well, second, uh, along with the mature mindset, we also need to study and the model walk in verses 17 to 21. Paul has told us to strain forward for what's ahead. But how do we do that? Well, we study Paul's example. And verse 17, Brothers, uh, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. I'm sorry to mention uh, football again, but when I was uh, growing up, uh, my role model uh, really was the footballer Zinedine Zidane. Um, That was before the headbutt, if that means anything to you. Um, Zidane was one of the best midfielders of his generation, and I wanted to be like him. I played in the same position as him. I asked to have the same number on my shirt as him. I remember going to the shop with my dad and um, buying the same Adidas Predator boots as him. I tried to study his skills to copy him, his technique, his style of play. But if you want to make it in the Christian walk, and Paul says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That word example there speaks of a type or a pattern, and the archetype of that pattern uh, is the Lord Jesus. Uh, and what he did and um, spelt out in chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. His self-sacrificial service on behalf of others, which is vindicated in heaven. And in Philippians, Paul has given us examples of what that looks like uh, in his own life, uh, but also in Timothy and Epaphroditus' life, if you were here for that. And what marked them out was that they were individuals who do not put their own interests first, but the interests of Jesus, willing to serve to the point of death in partnering in the gospel, sacrificial service for the salvation of others. And a number in the last 2,000 years uh, have followed and set that example too. If you've ever been at a church at the start of uh, the summer before, you have probably have heard someone say, the summer is a great time to read a Christian biography. And you've heard that because it's true. Um, Studying the lives of other faithful believers can be a great encouragement. I've certainly found that, about how the Lord Jesus is working in the world today. But it also helps reflect on the pattern of the Lord and of his apostle in the lives of others. Um, If you prefer uh, listening rather than reading, um, there's a great seminar on the life of Helen Rosevere um, from a recent weekend away on the website. And why not commit to listening to that and then chatting about it with a friend um, in the next few weeks? Or do go to the bookstall and pick a biography um, from there. And maybe commit to reading a chapter or two uh, every few weeks with some guys from your RML table. Uh, we're to study the model walk so we can become imitators of it ourselves. And then Paul gives us two further supportive reasons for that in our next verses. A further reason to su- is to study it is so we can spot false alternatives. And that's given in verses 18 and 19. And it seems likely to me in these verses that Paul is continuing the contrast he laid out in chapter 3 between the two ways of following the one true God. In the Philippians' day, the most viable alternative to Paul's example is a Jewish or Judaizing example. And they claim to follow uh, the same God, to use the same Bible, and look... Godly. And to the untrained eye, they actually look very similar, but they're on completely different sides. Just if, um, like me, we are um, militarily untrained, we're unlikely to tell the difference between a photo of Russian fighters fighting on the front line or Ukrainian fighters fighting on the front line. To us, um, or to me, and they probably look the same. And if we're spiritually naive, we can miss the difference between uh, a true godly walk and a false one. And for Paul, there'll be no appeasement uh, in this battle. And although the fact um, these people he speaks about are against Jesus, and, and that deeply saddens him, he, he ruthlessly and mockingly characterizes their example to show us that even on the outside, if it looks impressive, it's opposed to the cross of Christ. So verse 18 and 19. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with mindset on earthly things. Their God is their belly is likely talking about their adherence to food laws, and they glory in their shame is probably refers to them taking pride in their circumcision. And he doesn't want us, Paul doesn't want us to be drawn into their pattern, even if it looks godly, and he exposes it for what it really is, earthly. And he states clearly, their end is destruction. Now, we may not be tempted uh, off Jesus' pattern by Judaizing teaching today, but there are other godly patterns or godly teachings um, set out for us, aren't there, Uh, which look spiritual, but are actually opposed to the cross of Christ When I did my theological training with the Church of England, they make you do placements at churches outside of your tradition, so-called, which in many cases meant outside of the gospel. And I should have stood strong on principle against it. But my compromise was that I could do a placement at the church I wanted if I went to an Anglo-Catholic church down my road for Sunday evenings for one term. And one of those Sunday evenings, I turned up and they were doing something called the veneration of the Blessed Sacrament. And to cut a long story short, uh, we were being encouraged to worship the bread that was going to be used in the Lord's Supper. And it was a special show. We were in a, we were in a historic building with the low lights and hushed tones, with people dressed in special clothes. And from a special door came some special bread um, with a special bell rung. And if you were into that sort of thing, I guess, um, it gave you goosebumps. It was a tangible thing, a top-up experience that helps you keep running the race. It looks impressive. It's loosely based on things in the Bible. But it makes a mockery of what the Lord Jesus achieved in his once-for-all sacrifice once made on the cross. I'm sure, it's a religious experience, but it wasn't a Christian experience. And Those who turned up to the summer solstice at Stonehenge on Wednesday or those who turned up to the pyramid stage to see Lizzo last night. They'd experience a similar thing. And it's the same with um, some charismatic teaching. I grew up in a church tradition which prized so-called spiritual experiences. And one evening we're all encouraged to pray uh, for the gift of tongues and start speaking our own made-up languages to God. And that would uh, unleash a new assurance in our walk with him. Or there is the regular experience that we were encouraged to have of being filled with the Spirit and during singing. This involved in the most extreme cases and some people uncontrollably crying or laughing or shouting. Or in other cases, the feeling of tingling lips or a warm stomach. And if that, even if that wasn't a regular experience, it was important you had one such experience you could look back on and where the Holy Spirit really came upon you. And you had your lip tingle or some uncontrollable laughing or something like that. And this is how you should walk. This is the example you should follow. Because without those experiences, you're missing out on the full power of God. And how will you make it to the end without those assuring experiences? But with these teachings, we could say, and their God is their tongue, they glory in their shame, which physically losing control of yourself in a public meeting surely is. This sort of teaching and practice gained a foothold in the UK by visits from those leading the vineyard movement in the US and something called the Toronto Blessing. And they majorly influenced modern charismatic teaching, such as that in Alpha or New Wine, uh, which you'll find if you read their own histories and biographies. And as much as I was allowed to hear the word of God in those movements, um, I was thankful. And I have a number of friends who first heard the words of Jesus through Alpha and New Wine uh, and are committed followers of him today. But the the earthly teaching of Catholicism or charismaticism that models a confidence in earthly things that rejoices in religious ritual or religious experience, things that have actually been concocted in the human mind rather than the mind of God, teaching that leads to spiritual self-satisfaction rather than sacrificial service for others. Those teachings offer a model of walking which opposes the way of the cross. And we need to study Paul's model so we can imitate him and not be drawn in by alternative earthly godly models, at which ruin or have the potential to ruin our race. And rather than rejoicing in self-serving earthly religion, we can rejoice in the heavenly reality, which prizes a sacrificial service of Jesus. And that's what Paul rejoices in. And that's really what keeps us going. And that's what we see in verses 20 to 21. Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now there's been an incredible amount of excitement uh, in our household uh, this week. It's probably fair to say that I haven't been the most uh, caught up in it myself. And the cause was uh, Taylor Swift releasing her international tour dates for the Era's tour. And Um, My wife, Abby, she um, often is playing Taylor Swift around the house and she really enjoys that. Um, But but that is nothing compared in her eyes to the prospect of seeing Taylor perform in person uh, in all her glory, uh, with Abby probably dressed like her too, uh, with all her fans. And Paul here reminds us why it's worth following his example now. Because it's a privilege uh, to live as a citizen of heaven now as we represent the chief citizen and the Lord Jesus Christ and his pattern of sacrificial service for the salvation of others. And we can dance to the tune of that CD now, but there is a concert still to come, Paul says. And although we can press on imperfectly as heavenly citizens now, there's a day when we will do it perfectly. Our Saviour will return from heaven and he will transform us to, to be like him. Yes, that will involve a physical transformation that we can barely imagine. And we get a glimpse of the glorified body of the Lord Jesus in his transfiguration. But given the emphasis in Philippians of the pattern that heaven vindicates, and this is a body that will be ready for Jesus' city, glorious in its physicality, but glorious in its self-giving service of others as well. In the resurrection, we will be like Jesus in all his glory. Now, not in any way uh, clearly in these verses based on our own works and because of his power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. But because of him, and we will know him perfectly and will be able to perfectly live like him. And it's setting our minds on that present reality of our heavenly citizenship and the future resurrection to come. And that will keep us walking properly now and will keep us waiting until then. So that question again, um, are we in danger of being overconfident? Have we become a tad complacent? Um, Do we need a touch on the tiller or more in the direction of our lives, our going in? And do we have Paul's mindset or are we committed to following his example? And those questions have given me um, serious cause for challenge in the last few weeks. But Paul does indeed say in chapter 1 verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. But he says that to the Philippians, a gathering of Christians that were pressing on in sacrificial service for the salvation of others. And they just sent Epaphroditus with funds to support Paul in prison. And Paul says they partnered with him in the gospel from the first day until now. Absolutely, and the Lord Jesus will complete the good work in all those who began it in. But the evidence of past conversion is present commitment. The mature Christian mindset is not complacent, but presses on to the goal of that final day. And the model walk does all it can to walk as citizens of heaven now, to be increasingly conformed to the pattern of Jesus in his death and not to other earthly religious nonsense. So we're found ready to be conformed to his glorious body to come. Paul loves the Philippians, and he really wants them to make it. And so he ends in 4 verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father, thank you for the righteousness of Jesus that you give to us in his self sacrificial death on our behalf. Thank you that you have taken hold of us and will one day return to transform us to be perfectly like him. Please help us to press on to that goal. And follow his pattern as heavenly citizens as we rejoice in all that he has achieved for us now and will bring to completion in the future. Amen.